This is an ABC podcast. We do a lot of loving in our lives and there's a lesson that comes from every relationship. From your childhood crush to your first love, your parents and your best friend. Those are the lessons writer and activist Clementine Ford has gathered for her new memoir, How We Love. And they're lessons we should all hear. I'm Nat Tenchich, and in this special episode, you'll see a softer side of Clem. She might be best known for her firebrand feminist persona, and she has earned a reputation for saying what others won't, even if it gets her in trouble sometimes. But she's as human as anyone and has had her heart broken and is fascinated with the soft, emotional belly of life. In this book of personal essays, she talks about the great loves of her life, the giddiness, the pain, the excitement and loss. And through it all, she finds we are deeply motivated by love. I've been, you know, a fan of your work for the longest time, but this book, um, How We Love, it's your memoir and it's something really different, um, which I'm sure has been brought up in a lot of interviews. But I wanted to start by asking, you know, why did you want to look at love or why did you want to look at your life through the lens of love? I mean... I've thought about this and obviously I've been asked this question a lot and what I realised while writing the book was that one of the, and this wasn't the thing that motivated it, but maybe there was something subconscious going on there, that people always think of me and people like me who are very kind of sledgehammer in their approach to things because we know that unless you break down the door people aren't going to listen to you or that, that politeness doesn't really get you anywhere when it comes to social justice or advocacy that it's very easy to frame us as one-dimensional characters you know today she can be the villain tomorrow she can be the feminist, the day after that, she can be the one who's apologizing for something. And obviously I'm a human being and I have multiple layers to me and some complexities. And I, like anyone else, surprise, surprise, I love love. <laughs> and, and I also think that it became apparent to me while writing the book that you can't do that work unless you are motivated by love. Because, you know, anyone who wants to think, oh, she just hates all the time or she's just so full of hate. If I was so full of hate, I wouldn't have the stomach to get up every day and deal with the backlash that you get for doing that kind of work. You, you have to do it motivated from a place of genuinely wanting things to be better for people. And no one who hates everyone wants everything to be better for people. Only people who love everyone want that. So I, I think that that was kind of probably what was going on subconsciously. But also I'm getting older, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a little bit more circumspect about things and I felt the need to be at least for this one project, to write something that wasn't going to make me go home and just have, you know, a looped roll of terrible images going through my head the way that certainly after writing Boys Will Be Boys, I often did because there's some very heavy chapters in there about, you know, really comprehensive violence. So I was kind of like probably at a very basic level, I just wanted to write something really nice. Love is nice and love is something that we're all looking for but I think what's beautiful about the book is that you you take love in all of its complexities and ways it can be painful as well what do you feel like you've learned about love throughout your life I think one of the the best and most instructive things I've learned about love is that accepting that it often goes hand in hand with grief is necessary we can't truly love without accepting the possibility that one day we'll have to say goodbye to that love. And that 
knowledge, I guess, and that understanding of how short-lived some loves can be, whether or not it's the love that you have for a parent. The book obviously opens with me talking about the death of my mother. Um, that happened when I was 25. And, you know, there's lots of things that as an adult woman I would love to talk to her about now, but I obviously can't. But I feel like I feel like the grief has been almost as almost as meaningful to me as the love that I had because it's given me this additional understanding of what that love meant. And that's not something that everyone gets so young. And not, I mean, obviously I I would have loved for my mum not to have died when I was 25. But I think over the years, what I've really kind of gleaned is a more philosophical approach to love. And that is that, you know, we're often conditioned into thinking that the most important love that we can have is romantic love. And so we feel like, well, we get to our 20s and we've got to, you know, go out and date a little bit. But ultimately, the mainstream status quo impetus is for us to, to find that person we're going to marry and settle down with and have a baby with and be with for the rest of our life. And if we don't find that all-encompassing love that matches everything that we've seen in romantic comedies and in the movies and in books and stuff, most of which actually doesn't really exist, if we don't find that love, then we've somehow failed to really experience what it means to be alive. And we've failed to really have a meaningful life. At 40 years old now, and I'm a mother, so I, I do have that perspective, which is, you know, not everyone needs to become a parent. Not everyone wants to become a parent. I don't subscribe to the idea that, like, oh, my God, well, having a child just taught me what love is. It didn't. It taught me what a very specific kind of love is, and I'm very grateful for it. But I know that there are so many different kinds of loves that we have in our life. We have romantic love if, if you know, if we choose it. We have the love that we might have for our parents or for our children. But then there's also platonic love. And some of the most important relationships I've had in my life have been the relationships I've had with my soul friends. And they're the ones that really will ultimately end up lasting. So I feel like understanding that love is not this sort of one-stop shop where we find someone to live with us forever, but actually something that we can, that it's a living, breathing thing that we can, have a lot of one day and then that that love that was meaningful at this point in our life maybe drifts out like the tide and that's fine we had it I think those are incredibly important lessons to learn too as somebody who you know as as a young person coming into this particular concept and idea of love you know I think what you've come to comes with wisdom and experience of lots of different kinds of love what sort of things do you wish you could sort of, you know, you end the book with a letter to yourself that made me cry, honestly, but. I love hearing that people cry <laughs> at my writing. Honestly, it's one of my favorite things. It was so beautiful, but I would love you to just impart some of that wisdom on hookup listeners as well. As a young person, what do you really wish or want young people to know about love? I wish I could hold the hands of every single one of your listeners and, you know, my mum used to say to me, I wish I could just put my forehead against yours and you would know everything that I know. But it's, I know that it's kind of a cop out and it's a bit trite, but the truth is you don't know it until you're on the other side of it. You can't, I can tell you, but you still, we all still have to live through it because we still probably have been conditioned by those romantic ideals. And we're hoping that we'll be the exception. So what I would say to your listeners is, Seek the love that you want and don't be ashamed of wanting it, but also understand that the loves you will have will be so much richer than you imagine right now. And you will get to a point in your life where you're looking back at this time 
and you realize that everything that you've gone through, all of the pain and the heartbreak and the ups as well, and the great nights that you're having and the first flutters of a crush, all of it was necessary to get you to the point that you're going to end up in. Because it's just one part of your life. You're going to keep loving for the rest of your life. You haven't met anywhere near close to the number of people you will love in your life. And not, in fact, most of them won't be romantic loves. You are going to love so deeply and so much more broadly than you think is possible right now because the great privilege of being young and in your 20s is that you truly get to believe that life will go, life will last forever. And so you're living in the moment. So live in the moment and enjoy it. But, but just be sure to remember that like we all age and what feels hard now won't always feel hard and life will deliver you surprises you didn't know were coming. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Clem, I want to circle, like that is just so incredibly gorgeous. And I I kind of want to circle back to the feminism conversation, especially because, you know, you have been wise for a lot of your career and and sort of giving advice or, um, you know, putting out ideas that I think really inspire a lot of young women. Um, And I think maybe the book is an interesting turn because, I suppose you're you're obviously very aware that you have kind of a reputation of the misandry or hate or whatever. Um, but you know, in it you detail very raw and personal and and deep and vulnerable relationships with men. How do you, I guess, kind of square that with your mm. persona? And how do you think your the people who've been following you for a long time will um will square that too? Well, I mean, I've I've never opted to answer questions about any of the accusations that are leveled at me about oh you're just a man hater you just oh you're just like this because you've been rejected by men your whole life I have been rejected by some men we've all been rejected if we've if we've not experienced rejection then we haven't really understood what it means to have the full capacity and gamut of human emotions because we all need to stand in front of the mirror and watch ourselves cry over someone who doesn't love us the way that we love them back. So, of course, I've cried over boys. I've cried over girls too. And I, the reason I've never engaged with that conversation is because I find it distracting. It's reductive. It's a way of avoiding talking about more serious issues in feminism. If you can keep feminists distracted by forcing them to defend constantly that their feminism doesn't come from a place of hatred for men. Obviously it doesn't. I mean, that is just so ridiculous. Feminists advocate for the things that we do because we we love women and we love ourselves and we also love men and we Mm -hmm. love everyone who doesn't who doesn't encapsulate those labels we want a better world for people that is you know when we're liberated from patriarchal's crushing oppression so i've never really uh, engaged with it but of course i'm a person in the world and i've had relationships with people and i and i felt raw and vulnerable in them and i've i've you know, put myself at the mercy of their feelings. And and I've broken some people's hearts, you know, as we all should. We should all have our heart broken someone by, by someone at least once. And we should all break a heart at least once and learn from both of those lessons how not to do it next time. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that it will be disappointing to anyone. I think and I hope what it will do is it will remind people that I'm a multidimensional human being and and also remind people, I guess, who don't, hate the sort of fierce feminism who are who were you know big supporters of it but also remind them that I'm not like a character in 
a TV show. I'm not like, I'm not a trope. I'm not fulfilling a role. I do have complexities. And sometimes those things might mean that I don't, I do things that you don't like. I think it's an interesting time to be, you know, having that conversation and thinking about our characterization because of the online habit, online space we inhabit rather, and how we are kind of reduced to a sort of character. Because I I think too about the book, like I, I get quite a lot of those sort of straight lady memes of oh gosh, I I love dick, but I hate men or mm-hmm. I wish that I, you know, if, if only I didn't have to date men or or whatever, mm. bemoaning, I guess, this this space um, that they're in. And, you know, I think your feminism, your feminism is really important to these women, but I, I always kind of bristle a little bit at this mm-hmm. kind of painting with such a broad brush. I just wondered like where you sat with all of that sort of discourse and mm. how your book kind of, I guess, adds to and humanizes these kinds of relationships and takes it out of the, the two-dimensional space? Mm, I think it's a really good question. And I mean, obviously I share memes like that because sometimes it feels, you know, it's sometimes cheap humour. It just is what you need for the day. And it, and it is cheap humour. And what's not being said there is that actually... I'm not going to speak for all people, but what's not being said for a lot of people, I think, and certainly what's not being said for me when I, when I share names like that is that, you know, you say like, I love Dick, but I hate men. What people want is they want a connection with someone. And I mean, you make this show, you know, that people want to connect, but that are often prevented from true connection because of multiple different issues. One of which now I think is the smorgasbord aspect of dating apps. So people, you know, they're being ghosted and their feelings are being hurt. When you make, when you share humour like that, often what you're covering is your vulnerability and your hurt feelings. And I think that there are a lot of women who participate in that humour who are actually quite wounded by some of the interactions that they've had with men. And obviously I'm just speaking in very kind of like heteronormative terms, but it's a way of kind of, I guess, masking their grief or sharing it or certainly has been for me in the past. And grief is a strong word, but I mean, masking their woundedness, I suppose, or their desire to connect with another another person and to feel at times like they have. I mean, we've all been ghosted. It's terrible. Ghosting is is a really, particularly if you've slept with someone a few times, it's, it feels like a real kick in the guts. And you think you kind of gaslight yourself a little bit because you're like, how could I have gotten it so wrong? Or you even feel like I don't, it's not that I wanted to live with this person or marry them or even have a relationship with them necessarily, but I felt like the intimacy that we shared was enough that I at least warranted a phone call or a conversation to say that they were moving on. But it sometimes feels like when you're in those scenarios, it's because you get to this point where you've, or it seems to you that you get to this point where you've slept with someone a few times and then the thrill is gone. And for them, or maybe even for you, And they're probably not even, if you're being ghosted, they're probably not sitting there and thinking, how can I hurt this person's feelings? It's literally like you're almost ghosted from their recollection of you, like because they just stopped thinking about you. And I feel like we've all had an experience of being on either side of that. But what what it exposes is that, you know, this isn't a critique of hookup culture because I think hooking up with people can be great. But what we need to bring to hookup culture, and then maybe this is something that I would offer as advice to people who are young as well, is what we need to always bring is some kind of integrity and kindness. You don't have to love the person that you're sleeping with, of course, and you don't have to even see them more than one time. But, you know, my mum always used to say, 
for breakup advice, one of the bits of advice she had was break up with someone in such a way so that if you ever ran into them on the street again, you could both look at each other and smile and think to yourself, that was a parting well made. I think that that's really good advice to take into your dealings with people that you don't have to want to be with them and it's perfectly okay to break up with someone and it's okay to not want to see someone again after you've slept with them once or a few times or whatever, but part in a way that means if you saw them on the street, you wouldn't be running to hide or feeling embarrassed or ashamed about what you've done. I think that's a beautiful piece of advice and just speaks to the fact that, you know, we are all complex beings who deserve to be loved and we want to be loved and we want to love people or we should be trying to love people for their whole person, you know, and not mm. be distracted by, I guess, the the other aspects of who or what they are. I also wanted to ask you very quickly about, you know, the your own role, the role of self-love and confidence in finding and connecting and loving others. Um, I think in some of the stories about when you were quite young, um, it sounds like, you know, you talk about kind of like the repulsion or whatever of, of someone then loving mm. you back, you know, how do you grapple with that? I think particularly as, as a young woman, where we've been getting all these messages that we have to be a particular way in order to be worthy of love. How do you grow mm. through that and find love that's genuine, despite all of the things society and you are telling about yourself? That's a very big process and partly I think that I mean I can also only speak to my own experience partly for me with age comes a little bit of forgiveness of yourself and a little bit of wisdom and acceptance Um, I mean I feel for every young person moving through the world today with all the the pressures that are already on people when you're in that kind of part of your life but magnified so much by social media and um, social media has been so good for so many things, but it definitely does give rise to, you know, our ability to compare ourselves to other people and to blame ourselves for not having the life that we want or to feel unlovable. Like so many of us feel unlovable and there's, you know, some of that is the parenting that we had, you know, that taught us to shrink ourselves in certain ways or to not speak up for the emotional needs that we have. Um, And some of that is just external forces that are teaching us to hate ourselves because it's what sells products to us. But one of the things that that has been really interesting and instructive in writing the book is that there's one story in particular where I, it's about when I'm 13 and I'm just full of self-loathing and, you know, I had a terrible eating disorder, which I thought would fix all of my problems. And of course didn't because it doesn't, spoiler, your body actually does not matter. (laughs) um you know it's it won't change anything because the society that we live in if it wants you to hate yourself it will and and actually it needs you to hate yourself so that it can keep selling you stuff but I I'm writing you know I wrote this chapter recollecting myself as a 13 year old and I felt so invisible and so dismissed and I had this huge crush on this boy and I was sure he had no idea who I was I mean he he was kind to me a couple of times in a way that teenage boys rarely seemed to be but it was I remember always remember that kindness and I wrote to him while I was writing this book because he's sort of in one of the chapters just as this figure that you know I was kind of lusting after and I wrote to him and I said I'm writing this essay and you're in it and I'm, I'm not asking anything of you I I just remember that you're a really kind person 
And I, I just wanted you to know that I remembered you in that way. And sometimes having memories of our childhood selves shared to us by people with, you know, we didn't know were watching us can be really meaningful. And I hope you've had a really nice life. And because I'd said to him, I'm sure you don't remember me. And he wrote back and he said, oh, I remember you. I was really intrigued by you. And you seemed to observe the world in a quiet way. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but you observed the world, world in a way that seemed unusual. And, and I remember reading that and feeling like really quite overcome with, I was very grateful for him to share that, but I was also a little bit grief stricken because I thought I was so convinced at that age, as we all are, that I was a nobody and that no one watched me living at all. And I may as well, you know, I might as well not have even been there. And yet here I was 30 years later with this person who I'd kind of thought was this golden boy saying to me, well, I have these, all, all these stored memories of you too. And I felt very d- distinctly in that moment, like my 13 year old self was separate to me. And I felt so much love for her in that moment as well. And I was so glad that to think of her and know that all of the things that she was feeling about herself, that one day someone was going to give her this gift and it made, made me feel so warmly towards her. And then I, I, you know, part of that letter, that final letter that I wrote is I guess in urging all of us to think of ourselves as a series of people who are stretched out through history and through the future. And Yes, we experience every part of our life, but I am not the same person I was at 13, even though she is me and I am her. I can think of her as a separate person. And she has lessons that I am learning at 40 that I didn't know I would learn looking back at her. And I have lessons to teach 80-year-old me that one day I I will meet that age and be able to tell her what they are. And I feel like all of that kind of playing with linear time in your own head can be really liberating as well when we're navigating these grief pathways or when we're feeling bad about ourselves or when we're thinking that, you know, we're sitting there and waiting for our life to begin. We just remember our life is beginning. Our life, sorry, our life has begun. Our life began the moment we started breathing and every single experience that we've had has led us to this moment. We are living it all the time and we don't know what's coming for us, good and bad. And those things help you to be kinder to yourself because you can wait for the love of another person. And I don't want to be trite and cliche, but, but honestly, that journey to loving yourself is not just about loving who you are in this moment. It's about reflecting on who you have been and who you will be and finding love for all of those parts of you. I think that's an incredibly beautiful spot to leave it. Um, Clem Ford, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me on The Hookup. I have really appreciated this conversation now and your beautiful questions. They've been so thought provoking. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you loved it or know a big Clem fan, send this podcast their way. And we always want to hear from you. DM us on Instagram at triple J the hookup or email the hookup at abc.net.au. I'll catch you next time.